0: Hello, friends, Corey here. Now, we do not have a live episode of the Living Force this week. No! We took the week off to kind of use the time that we have set aside each week to kind of work on some of the businessy sides of the Living Force. So, constantly working on bringing you guys really interesting content down the road. Now, this kind of worked out because Eric and I had the pleasure of sitting down with author Mike Chin, author of Brotherhood, which came out earlier this year. And the timing worked out really nice. So instead of our normal live production, here is our interview with Mike Chin.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of The Living Force. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight uh, is one of your regular hosts, Dr. Corey Helton. What's up, buddy?
0: Hello, hello. Thanks for having us, as always, Eric.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I just love hanging out with you after a long day of work. Uh, I really do. (laughs) You make me smile, buddy. Uh, But always you smile even more is our other special guest. Uh, You may know him as a writer of many incredible books like Light Years from Home, Here and Now and Then, We Could Be Heroes, and of course, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back, and a little New York Times bestseller, Star Wars Brotherhood. It's Mike Chen. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you for coming on. Uh, gosh, you you really just kinda made a splash in this whole community earlier this year, uh when Brotherhood came out. It was the talk of everyone of prequel kid to OT Stan and everyone in between absolutely adored this book. So as we as we chat with you here tonight, um first thing I want to say is just congratulations on being a New York Times bestseller. That's thank just you. kind of an awesome title. Um and just very Briefly, what was it like when you got that email that said, yep, Brotherhood's on the chart?
2: So it was, um, I got it, I mean, you know, authors, like, we know exactly when,
3: (laughs) when when, when
2: the New York Times updates, when the USA Today list updates, like, we know, like, we're all chatting with each other. So everyone's like, me and Adam Christopher and Kirsten White, like, we have this ongoing DM thread, like, because, you know, we all kind of released around the same time we right. all were in the same stages of the process together so we're just like we're all refreshing for each other for for each of our of our uh, books and then so for, for this one like we're just chatting with each other and then I got an email from my editor Alex Davis and it was like some really like benign thing and he said oh by the way you made the list and he has like a screen cap
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh I almost forgot <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then um and then i think my agent texted me and then adam christopher saw it first because adam christopher is on top of everything um and then, <laughs> and then i was like okay i can't say anything until it actually goes live and then um michael from uh from lucasfilm publishing he actually tweeted it before it went live because <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah he did that and then like he tweeted it like five minutes before it went live um and because i like, i got tagged in it i'm like oh okay i guess i guess we're just talking about it now Here we like, go. <laughs> and then so for like the next like hour two hours i was just replying to everything on twitter but yeah it was i mean that's basically the goal you know for for all of us like we say once you have that title it's it's like over your name on every book you publish from from now yeah, on I, every time you're quoted like it's always there and no one can take it away from you
0: it's like yeah. it's like being knighted by the by the king. I almost said queen. You have to say king now. Yeah, yeah it's that's like, right. It's like being knighted. Yeah, that's wild, man. That's wild.
1: Yeah, and, and it's and it's so funny because, you know, we see that, obviously, on the, the blurbs and everything. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, New York Times bestselling writer. It's like, oh, okay. Someone with a little weight behind their name and now forevermore. You know, you, I assume at dinner parties, much like Corey has to be Dr. Corey Helton when you have doctorate. you <laughs> must now... Uh, Everyone (sighs) must introduce you as New Mm -hmm. York Times bestselling author Mike Chet. It's your full legal name.
2: My wife and I were joking about like she saw something on next door and which never go on next door it's a bad
0: no, idea. Is. <laughs> that <is> correct. <laughs> villainy, et <cetera>. my, wife, <laughs>
2: my wife was saying something like should we weigh in on this and then she's like and we can say New York Times best selling author Mike Chen thinks this. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, not doing it. She
0: gets it. Just <laughs> continually use it in inappropriate situations <laughs> yeah, for the rest of exactly. your life. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I don't think my husband New York Times best selling author Mike Chen would like this. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> It's like something totally benign, like something about like yeah. gardening or something.
1: Exactly, like,
2: just gotta throw that weight around. But,
1: but it, it is it is cool, and it's it's been so fun because you know we see Star Wars books did that from time to time, and I think that those of us that aren't writers or aren't ar- around it every day sometimes like forget what it, what it means and how hard it is and how many books. Get published a year. How much that pressure there the probably list. is yeah. from
0: all the parties that are involved, probably especially with Star Wars as well. Seeing how uh, so many books do end up on that on that list, right? I mean, is yeah. there, Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that's kind of a like an unspoken expectation that you have to like make it happen at some you point? Know, I I like
2: I, I jokingly say that you know I cheated my way onto the list because like <laughs> you know it's the Star Wars brand like it's that is not, not like, that is I'm not true <laughs> comfortably. Midlist science fiction author. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I think like we all know it's like much more so than like Star Trek novels or Marvel novels or whatever. Like those yeah. they have like their dedicated audience, but they don't have the the mass volume that Star Wars does. And I'm yeah, not sure, sure why, especially Marvel. I, I think yeah. that's kind of weird that like their their books just don't have like the impact <sighs> that Star Wars books do. Uh maybe because you know, like I read the Thrawn trilogy when it first came out, like the EU yeah. sustained star Wars for so long. And that it might did. be uh-huh. why the books are so important and why they sell so much right now. But yeah, yeah, like when, when I first got the the deal, like talking with my other author friends, they're like, okay, you're going to list now. I'm like, let's not talk about that. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can't say that
1: out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess it also helps that they, they still make Marvel movies quite a bit. And star Wars, uh, Twenty twenty five, I think. So <laughs>
3: right, you know. You
2: know the, I will say, okay. So I, you know, I clearly love Star Wars, um, and I clearly love Star Wars movies. However, mm-hmm. I, I feel like in the past ten years or so, my preference for for you know narratives has really shifted to enjoying TV much yeah. more than the movies because yeah. I just love spending mm-hmm. time with characters, and so the fact that like. We're getting extended formats uh-huh. uh, as opposed to squeezing everything into, you know, two two and a half hours. Like as much as I love, you know, Rogue One and Solo yeah, and absolutely. Trilogy, it's like. It's just so much nicer to be able to breathe with these characters. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't seen this week's Andor yet, so no spoilers, but
0: yeah, oh my god. I haven't. Derek has. Oh my god. I yeah. Oh um, yeah, it's uh unbelievable. That's it. Oh my god, uh,
1: Andor. <laughs>
3: you know, we can just
0: let's just let's just get rid of our questions. We're just gonna talk about Andor for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I you're totally right, man. We're in this like crazy like golden era of TV, it seems like, with especially with all the Star Wars and nerd culture in general. Mm-hmm. Nerd culture in the last like decade has just honestly been unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I think we're, you know, you might be selling yourself a little short with like, you know, it's the, it's the franchise that got me on the list kind of thinking, but like, I mean, we're in this interesting time where like all the prequel kids are hitting, their, hitting their thirties, right. Like early, yeah. tw- late twenties, early thirties. And like, you happen to write such an incredible book. Like, frankly, that just kind of hits that, that niche market in a lot of ways that like, what do you think is kind of like responsible for why is this why is this such a thing right now we have this like renaissance of prequel kids a little bit like
2: you know i really do think so i was born i i'm i have to think how old am i i'm 43 (laughs) 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 so i was born like i literally grew up with the original trilogy um Mm -hmm. and so it's obviously like very very important and informative to my life um yet there was something about like i saw I saw the prequels like uh, you know all of them were opening night like trying to go to like you know the the, the like the big gathering with with all my friends and mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that and like you know I was on the force.net message boards and all wow, that. Yeah, right yes that's right yeah um dot <laughs> so force.net revenge of the sith non-spoiler message board I was on there all the time um, <laughs> and there was always something to me that I think I liked the complexity of the of the era. I think I liked the depth of the world yeah. building. Yeah. Um, like it just it it resonated with me in a way that I didn't quite expect. And so when when like being a fan at that time was really, really weird because you know, you had the Lord of the Rings movies coming out at the same time, you had the Matrix mm-hmm. coming out at the same time. And then once when the Phantom Menace came and went, um, there was just like this weird, like do you want to say that you like it? Like it's going to bring yeah, up right. all these sort of like <laughs> strange right. arguments. And this is like, you know, I'm in college. So it's like, you know, late teens, early twenties people where it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to start, you know, crapping on stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas like, all you know, it. in, you know, if you're in like, if you're six years old, you probably think the pod race is the greatest thing of all time. And all your friends right. do too. Yeah. So it's, it's very, very different for, for people who grew up in the original trilogy, but I can totally see how, I remember, I mean, this is going off on a tangent, but I remember watching A New Hope um, because, you know, it came on TV. Like, I didn't really have the VHSs. I had Empire on VHS, and I had a copy of a copy of Return of the Jedi on VHS, but I did not have A New Hope. (laughs) And I remember watching A New Hope probably in, like, 93 or something, and like at this point, like I've already played like the Super Nintendo games, like I read the Thrawn book, like it was like reintegrating in my life. And I've you know, clearly a big science fiction fan. And I remember thinking, like, a new hope. I'm like, this is a great movie, this is Star Wars, but like on a film level, like there's some questionable performances. (laughs) 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 This dialogue is a little clunky, and so I remember when, when you know, I still think like The Empire Strikes Back is a literal perfect film there's nothing wrong about that like performance writing pacing editing everything about empire is perfect Mm -hmm. you know but i think i feel like some of the technical filmmaking issues kind of crept back into return of the jedi um Mm -hmm. with with like this it just feels less i think vibrant on some some performances Mm -hmm. sure um and you know i i will argue with like even before the prequels, I would get slammed by my friends who are like, Return of the Jedi is the best Star Wars movie. I'm like, Were you kidding? The Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> and then they always always talk about like Jabba's Palace, the speeder bikes, the you know, the Death Star battle. I'm like, Well, yeah, of course, but the emotional resonance in Return of the Jedi is just Luke and Vader, like Han doesn't really do much, but then there's the Empire Strikes Back, which is you know, all this stuff. <laughs> so long tangent, a lot yeah. of the complaints that people had about the prequels really confused me because i'm like but those existed in the original (laughs) trilogy so i don't understand and and now you see like the people who grew up with the prequels were like oh yeah we totally see like you know the sand line is kind of goofy but we love it anyways and look at this world it built and and then but they also have the benefit of clone wars because clone wars is like yes it's like one of the best TV shows of all time,
0: <laughs> so, yeah. And again, yeah. like you're like you're saying, like it it has so much room to breathe and grow, exactly, and so much yeah. character exploration can happen on the TV level. Like, yeah, I think I think the Clone Wars does get a lot of that credit, honestly, for for keeping it as as you know positively like remembered as a lot of us kind of yeah. see those prequel movies, and uh, I, I it's very I love hearing people talk about. What it was like being like ot fans during the first real test that the star wars fandom had which is like yeah. the phantom menace and and that sort of thing and like we, we obviously talk about this a lot at utini because our entire mission is kind of built on you know changing your perspective and, and enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it and finding things that you like about everything and that sort of stuff right because like it's very easy to fall into that trap of just crapping on everything.
2: (laughs) The thing that I I don't get, and I feel like even more so since like the pandemic and like, you know, all of our lives got way harder in the past Mm -hmm. few years. Yeah. And like, who has the energy to be negative? I I don't understand that.
0: And like, I think, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fundamentally easier to be negative than it is to be positive. It's it's lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's the quick and easy path. Right. I mean, it really is. So like it takes, you know, to, Put it into perspective with this, the way that we're all living our lives, the world has been as awful as it has been for the last couple of years. Of course, it's easy just to be like, Oh, The Last Jedi sucks, like, let's just crap on that, you know. And it's a great movie,
2: Last yeah, Jedi is so, in my top two, at least.
0: It's, it's yeah, mine too, absolutely. I, I had a big, I went to a wedding last weekend, I had a huge argument oh. with somebody in the <laughs> groom's party. Weddings? We it's we had a, weddings, it is. We, we had a, we had a couple drinks that, that, as a groomsman the night before the wedding. We got on a huge thing. he works in film, and we had a whole thing. It was fun, man. We had a really good time, so. <laughs> Um no. Yeah. yeah
1: well, I and I I love that you that you that you bring up Mike like the uh the idea of you know life is hard why do people do certain things and i think it's interesting because as fans of sci-fi and fantasy we see a lot of the same struggles in our stories that we do in our real lives right like yeah. a lot of things repeat themselves and you are you are clearly uh, for anyone that follows you or, or chats with you you're a massive fan of so many franchises we've mentioned star wars star trek uh me personally i see you got the shepherd helmet in the back That's you're a right, Mass right, Effect
2: right, fan yes. right. um and do you see liara back there Oh
1: yes! Oh yes, my God! My blue
2: space wife. My my real wife gave me my blue space wife painting. <laughs> that's oh my amazing! God, that's
1: so beautiful. <laughs> as, as as a Miranda <laughs> fan myself, I, I respect it. I respect it. Um, but do you think that of all these franchises that you and so many of us love, are there like a few uni- universal truths that like connect all the best sci-fi properties? Because we do seem to find a lot of the same like lessons, if you will, yeah. between all of them.
2: I mean, I I think in most cases uh sci-fi is about possibility um Mm -hmm. and you know you can frame that on a more scientific level like star trek you know where where they'll talk about like you know fundamental scientific truths and you know diversity and things like that and then you look at it star wars which is framed more as like you know every little person can make a difference whether they tap into this magical power or not you know it's basically saying the same thing framing it a little differently you know mass effect is about like coming together to take on like this you know, inevitable evil right. um and i think i find you know the stuff that resonates with me is, is like it, it, there was a time you know probably like late 2010s when like things were starting to get like really dark in media and yeah. then like i i enjoyed it for a while but then like i'm thinking specifically of like the walking dead where like at the first, it was like, "Wow, this is like really intense," and like I've never seen anything like it. And and then you start thinking like these characters are like making not the best decisions. Yeah, yeah every, <laughs> and, and week, every, every week, every week, yeah. And things are just going worse for them. And it's like, and and things are just really hard for them. And I'm like, am I really enjoying this, or do I am I like kind <laughs> of attached to them? and then watching them suffer. And I'm like, yeah. I don't, I, you know, and we kind of like detached from that because I was like, you know, I don't want to feel bad at the end of it. It's like, I don't want to feel yeah. like, yeah. like, you know, my daughter watches, you know, little kid cartoons, mm-hmm. but she also watches Clone Wars and Star Trek Prodigy. So she's maturing in her storytelling. Excellent. She, still, Excellent. she still watches like PBS kids shows. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like, it's not like I only want like that kind of simplistic storytelling, but I want something that I feel like, doesn't beat the crap out of me emotionally. But yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if if it yeah. does then like give me some hope so then like next week I can feel like I have persevered and earned something. Uh, yeah. And you know I get people everyone has different tastes. So it's like if you're into grimdark, you know that's that's totally cool. There's probably mm-hmm. like different reasons for different people, but like for me I'm just like I need something that says like yes, this world, this galaxy, whatever yeah. is worth fighting for.
0: Absolutely. Cause, yeah, cause Absolutely. So much I feel crap that in the world right now. I know, yeah, man. We don't Those for, more the, for, the, fiction. for the longest time, if my wife wanted me to watch like a like a I don't don't like a husband wife movie, I don't like saying chick flick anymore. But like yeah. if you're if you're to watch like a romantic movie, she would have to screen the ending for me. Because like if they if somebody dies at the end of it, after they finally get together, <laughs> after having not seen each other for 25 years. I am gonna be unhappy and regret watching this movie. So <laughs> I think you're I emotionally that.
2: invested and then just rip it away from you.
0: Yeah. You're right. <laughs> exactly. It seems like it seems like we're finally getting away from that. It, it interestingly happened kind of like before the pandemic, thank God, right? Like yeah. like I don't know where we would all be if if TV had continued to be as dark as depressing as it was through the pandemic. Uh but you
2: know, yeah, we're say, seeing like, it. Rogue one, I think, is a really good example of that because it's like, <clears throat> well, I guess even like the prequels where it's like one of the reasons I love Revenge of the Sith so much is that like after the, you know, once they get to Palpatine, then you start to get this like, like the spark of doom. And yeah, then right. it's like the, the <laughs> feeling of that just grows and grows and becomes right. kind of like relentless. And then you start to kind of feel like every choice these characters are making, they're trying to do right, but they are picking the wrong thing. And it's just relentless in in how... Horrible it feels, but then you get like the very end with the sunset, and and you know you go you get the Leia delivered to the Organas, and then you get you know Luke on Tatooine, and so you get that sort of like and the music swells too, which that helps a lot. Yeah, right. (laughs) Thanks, John. (laughs) But the idea that like you know as. Dark as it is, and you know the same thing with Rogue One, where you get like the little coda with with Leia right at the very end. It's like as dark as this is, this has a purpose, and something good is going to come out of it if we can all fight for it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. I I love that. I mean, Star Wars is so good at planting that little that little seed, that little spark of hope, Mm. right when you feel like there's nothing. That is like the universal truth. I feel like to to this, like that. You see, about the Last (laughs) Jedi too. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely absolutely We
1: have everything we need you know?
3: yeah
0: yeah i know i think and i think a lot of people felt that way i guess about the last jedi because of the way they, that they treated luke i guess and or at least that's how they feel that's how they that's what they say they said the way they treated luke i'm like that's not luke is part of that hope storytelling right yeah, so
2: I, I mean this is again another <laughs> tangent but i i i found that confusing that like well, for one, I mean, like, the, the seeds of that were planted in The Force Awakens. <laughs> absolutely, um, yeah,
0: absolutely. But
2: then also, like, it seemed very, I thought, like, in character of, like, you know, mm-hmm. if you've been through really profound trauma with someone that you've been really close to, I mean, like, it can shatter, like, the strongest yeah, person. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, like, to have that done to someone who's kind of placed on a pedestal, I mean, like, the I remember walking out of it and thinking, like, this was Field of Dreams in Star Wars. If you look at James Earl Jones's character in Field of Dreams, and I remember like Kevin Costner. I mean, this dates me because I'm totally Gen X. And like, <laughs> Field
1: of hey, hey, Field of Dreams, is
3: great. Field <laughs> of yes, it is. There's, there's, like yes. Kevin Costner like
2: first comes upon him, and he thinks like you know he's like this like generational like like writer and, and like person who is like you know means something, and he's just like this angry old man, and then you know he's like smacking at him and kevin costner goes like you're a pacifist why are you doing this and and it's like it to me like it just it, it echoed so much like we see that kind of storytelling everywhere where it's like the person you put on a pedestal like gets this myth created around them and to to actually live up to that is a challenge in the one place but then if you feel if that person feels personally responsible for something horrible that has happened. Like, you know, they, they feel like they failed on so many levels. And so they have to like deconstruct and rebuild, you know, what does this myth mean to me, the person living through it? Like, it it seemed yeah. to me like we have seen versions of this story many times. You know, this was just executed through the lens of Star Wars, plus, in the visuals of, I mean, like the final battle on crate. I mean, like, oh my! God, even if you I, don't like the story, like the oh visuals my God, on know. there were just like so
0: beautiful. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much to love visually in that yeah. film. I, I, I mean, still, I still think to this day the, uh, the Holo maneuver, the experience of that in the theater for the first time is one of the most stunning moments in Star Wars cinematography in history. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just yeah. so Easily. incredible to see that. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It,
1: it's, it's one of the, it's one of the great movies period of that of that year of our time and obviously of star wars and one of the great things i like about the last <laughs> jedi is that it gives us a bunch of pairings doing a bunch of different stories which is mm-hmm. cool and i'm going to use that to seamlessly transition <laughs> okay. and by doing that i'm going to call it out uh, into brotherhood itself because one of the amazing things you did in star wars brotherhood which by the way if you're listening and you haven't read it i don't believe you everyone read it but if you haven't <laughs> go do it immediately because it's awesome and check out all of our reviews on utini about it um, you made so many great pairs in Brotherhood. We got Anakin Obi-Wan. We got Anakin Padme. We got Obi-Wan and Rogue, one of my favorites, and all kinds of and more, obviously. So I want to ask you what which of these, like, relationships that you plastered throughout the book? Which one was your favorite one to write? What was the most fun?
2: They were all really fun for different reasons. So sure. um Anakin Padme, because we we don't get to spend time. With Anakin and Padme, just as a couple, like there's wow. a flash of it in Queen's Hope, and I talked with uh, EK Johnston, mm-hmm. like a lot about like where does my book fit in with her book, like mine sit mm-hmm. slightly after, and how can we like sync up, and so she's like, you know, she says specifically like, you know, they get a wedding, they get a honeymoon, and they're split apart again, and mm-hmm. then I get to pick that up and be like, okay, well, so they're like. I mean, if if they're professionals in our world, it would just be like they get married after this whirlwind, but then they have to go to work and travel. And then they come back after like a month after like very intense jobs at the U.N. and the CIA or something (laughs) like that. Right.
1: They sure leave. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, So it was just really nice to kind of get into them as people. And and Kate and I, uh, E.K., like we talked about, like, why do they love each other? Um besides the fact that they're both really good looking. I mean that's no, no. like, how that, I mean, that does a lot. Super hot, so that's really right. That is correct. But, but you know, I I think they make up a couple, a type of couple that we see everywhere where someone is more like outwardly passionate and then someone is more like internally like calculating. Like, I don't see calculating like like Palpatine evil calculating, but just kind of like more like right deconstructing and thinking and those types of people usually kind of balance each other out. Like my wife is definitely like the more fiery one. And I am the one who like overthinks and like deconstructs everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And we know plenty of, of couples like that. And so like, it was nice to be able to give them some space to like put that in context. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also like writing Anakin and Mill, one of the things I really wanted to do with Mill is Mill because she's an empath and Anakin is like all feelings. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's a lot to see.
2: Yeah. So it was really nice to have like, cause Anakin's hiding something from, from everyone, but right. he, he cannot hide from Mill. And that was the nice thing is to have a character who is almost like the audience surrogate where like, mm. we see everything Anakin's feeling because we're the omniscient audience, but for a person in universe to be seeing that and then try to reach out and react to it because she sees like the way that like the Jedi are pulling him. She sees like what's in his heart about like what he wants to do and what he's passionate about. And she can actually react in a way that someone who like, you know, an older Jedi who might have more reservations, like would not be able to do that. So they were really, really fun to write. Um, I mean, I can just go on about all of them. Obi-Wan and (laughs) Rook, they were, they were mirrors, like very intentional mirrors of, of people who are, have experience and want to make a change in their world, and the only difference is that Obi Wan's experience is very, very structured, and Rugs is like kind of chaotic because she's you know basically an Amoidian secret agent just killing people you know at will. Yeah, and, and with her so, amazing gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Which was which was her the the Garris Vicarian Vakarian sniper rifle. Hell basically. yeah, it was. I got you <laughs> on page one with that. <laughs> um, and, and so I wanted them to be like if you stripped away the context of like what their governments have asked them to do, they are very similar people. And so yeah. they just like the, their personalities have been formed through different types of trials by fire. So I wanted them to have my favorite scene to write with them was when they're at the bar and they're like, we don't know what's happening. Can we trust each other? And like, <laughs> it's just us. We're just talking. And that was yeah. really, really fun to write.
1: Yeah. Those quiet scenes in star Wars are always some of my favorites. too. I mean, yeah, and that's me why Again, no spoilers, why like a lot of Andor has been some of my favorite Star Wars of all time if it's mm-hmm. just two people in a room talking. Yes, like it's just yeah. so interesting when you
3: get
0: Reading rid of each everything other. else. And you have to like yes. you have to you have to you have to gather from the context clues, which admittedly is is harder to do with the book, but still it, it like there's also more room for scenery and description Mm -hmm. and and that sort of like chasing each other that happens with dialogue and you know that's something else that i think in this in this book that really stood out to us was the the amount of really incredible dialogue that we had between um between characters which admittedly has not always been (laughs) star wars a strong suit (laughs) uh but there seemed to be a little bit of uh this recurring trend, a little bit of of sort of a lack of listening, a little bit mm-hmm. like especially amongst the dialogue. And do you think that is sort of a fundamental issue for the Jedi? Because that was a recurring exploration. I feel like mm-hmm. is like yeah, the Jedi are not in tune with the problems of the galaxy. They're not listening to the galaxy. And and Obi Wan explored that a lot personally uh, with himself. I think, which is very interesting from Obi Wan's perspective. So, what are your thoughts on this listening as a problem with the Jedi?
2: I tried to position- i mean like you obviously the Jedi are flawed at this point, otherwise they wouldn't have failed so that's right so yeah. it's um I think the jedi you know it was i remember like when when the book came out, <clears throat> there were a few people who were upset that I positioned the jedi as as flawed, and I'm like mm. there are you know. <laughs> Three movies and seven seasons of a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is not, this is not something novel that I've come up with. Um, I I think like any sort of longstanding institution, whether it's religion or political or, you know, corporate or whatever, like they hit a point of becoming stale. And it's when their leadership does not want to recognize that the world or the galaxy is changing um mm-hmm. and that's like just the fundamental issue of yeah. of the jedi is that like and i think anakin is such a catalyst for
0: it because right
2: because you're bringing in someone first it's like you know the hippie guy in the boardroom being like, Hey, check out this dude I found. Yeah. And yeah. Like, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that.
0: <laughs> no, we want to hire him. We want to hire him. No, yeah. we can't hire this guy. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, like, He's like, You got
2: the wrong degree. He's too old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that, that's the thing is like, there is this, like, bringing Anakin in already disrupts their system. And then you have like this external pressure from Palpatine who is manipulating everything around it to to further disrupt the system. And then without someone to be like, wait a minute, is our system cracking? Instead of just saying like over and over, like we have faith in the system because it has upheld itself for thousands of generations. So it's like... I, you know, one of the questions that I often get asked is, uh, I mean, like, I'm not George Lucas, so I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. as as someone with, like, you know, pretty deep knowledge of, of the canon and the characters, and, like, yeah. my personal take is... You know, I get asked like, if someone else trained Anakin, it was Mace, if it was Yoda, yeah. if it was Qui Gon, or whoever. That's the question. Yeah, it's like, what would have happened? And my answer, like, after much, much, much thinking about this, it always comes back to like, it, if Palpatine's still there, it doesn't matter. Palpatine would find mm-hmm. a way to to ruin everything. Like, even if it was like right. Qui Gon and like he had like some sort of like very empathetic relationship that like nurtured Anakin the right way, Qui Gon would probably kill him. So, or not Qui-Gon, but you know, Palpatine would probably kill yeah. Qui-Gon. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so You think Palpatine
1: had one plan?
2: Right, right. Again? like I, Palpatine no. is like, so my my favorite take on Palpatine is something that Sam Witwer once said, where he said that um, Palpatine is so brilliant because he's so adaptable. So it's like, oh, Darth Maul died? That's no problem. I'm going to start grooming someone else. Yeah. You know, and he's able to shift his plan to like, okay, well, so Darth Maul was supposed to be like, you know, kind of a, a military strategist, but like now that we have, now we have Count Dooku and he's much more of a politician. So how can we arrange that? So being able to adapt while keeping an eye on the end goal is Palpatine's mm-hmm. biggest strength. yeah for So sure. I think like with, with Anakin, you know, he's probably like, you know, literally watching his career to see like, where is this kid evolving? What are his buttons that are starting to come to fruition? That's yeah. what I'm going to push. Which yeah. I imagine like if Qui-Gon was there, he would have different types of buttons to be pushed, yeah, as opposed sure. to like to how Obi-Wan raised him. So but I'm sure like it's he's still the goal because he's you know, he's so powerful. But the way that um that he would have come about, like probably would have been different. So if, if Palpatine is there, like the only way to to save Anakin is to take out Palpatine somewhere yeah. in that like 10 or years or so. Yeah. yeah
1: there's, there's that and, and, and you know we we love that question as well and, and you know i never really thought until you were talking right there like you know if, if qui-gon's around and palpatine is still talking to anakin as he did you know mm-hmm. mentoring him there's probably that conversation of like well the council will never trust you with qui-gon as a master you know yeah, exactly he, he said there's no to so the
2: many ways to like, like in your way
0: the yeah yeah for sure god
1: he's so good um <laughs> Now, another key part of the prequels that you addressed in Brotherhood was the Nemoidian people as a whole, and I, mm-hmm. I think we we talked about it in a roundtable discussion about the book. Um, everyone we chatted to about it has has talked about the fact that you you fundamentally have changed how we as a as a fandom community kind of now see the Nemoidians within this yeah. book. Um, and w- was that always your your intention from the start? Because you do so much about the culture of the people.
2: So that actually came from my editor when, during our first. Um, our first meeting about this, they said that they wanted to like de villainize the Nemoidians. And then my, my oh. editor and I were were talking, and I immediately said, like, because we're both <laughs> Star Trek fans, I said, Oh, like the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine. And he said, Exactly, let's let's do for the Nemoidians what the Ferengi yeah. got in Deep Space Nine. And so the names, uh, the name Rug Quornum is a spin-off quark, Nom, and and uh ROM and Nog from Deep Space Nine. So, <laughs> wow, you know, bash them up.
0: That's amazing. Oh my
1: gosh, you 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 made the bridge. That's yeah. the official <laughs> can, canonical bridge between the fan communities.
2: Yeah, so um, it was oh. it was really important. You know, there was an emphasis on like the the people themselves, like they are neutral, and also the idea that like they're just kind of going on with their lives, and there's all these assumptions from from the rest of the republic so they give me space to explore like what could that be like and and the way that i i immediately thought of is um like if you look at the influx of like asian cinema like uh Mm -hmm. in in indie asian cinema in like the 90s and the early 2000s when like Mm -hmm. people first started exploring not just like um like john woo jackie chan things like that like um so you have like like these violent awesome masterpieces like john woo's films and then you have like this insane stunt work that people have never seen before like jackie chan and then you actually have like these you know really deep art house films with really uh, like heartbreaking stories and and so for people to become uh, exposed to that but then when they get cast over here it's still kind of like in stereotype roles so it was kind of like thinking about thinking about like that where you have like these other cultures and usually like art or food or something like that is like your gateway into them. But then do you embrace them as like an actual culture or do you just see them as kind of like this thing? And the Republic right. is seeing them as mostly like drivers of commerce. And so when, when like spoiler alert for people who haven't read the book, when, <laughs> when you get the backstory about Kitar and his family, um, you know, like they're trying to, to be something more than just like, you know, part of the Trade Federation machine. And they're just getting hit back with stereotypes and slander and stuff like that. And so um, it was really trying to show that like, you know, I mean, not to get too allegorical, but it's like this type of thing happens in so many different ways in so many different directions right yeah. um you know it's not an exclusive like western problem or eastern problem or star wars problem like this kind of shit happens everywhere yeah um yeah so so it was trying to frame that into the the language of star wars and then given some free reign to like to to build their world around it and so uh, that's a you know i've gotten a lot of feedback where people were really happy about that and also yeah. one of the the key things Right away, like my editor said, like, can you make a badass Namoydian? And I said, I can. And this character is going to be just like Kira Nerys from Deep Space Nine. And there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: if, that's,
0: if, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, like this, uh, I, I love the way you put that. We get to see this deep exploration of sort of the culture and like people on the ground in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it like just for the everyday people and the slander that they're dealing with? Because that got brought up a lot. I feel like in the book of like everyone is just. Everyone feels like they know who the New are, including Star Wars fans, but not anymore. You know what I yeah, mean? So, yeah.
2: you know, I think that's one of the really cool things about Andor, too. It's like I love how we're seeing that, like the Empire, like is basically like the DMV for yeah. <laughs> when, when you're not <laughs> dealing with like Vader and you know Tarkin and stuff like that. It's just a bunch of like mediocre dudes yeah. who are uh-huh. like, I live in the middle of Coruscant and I eat my cereal and this just (laughs) kind of sucks. Yeah. (laughs) I got to go on the train.
1: I go to work. And, Mm -hmm. oh, and another... uh, We did what?
2: (laughs) In a Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So I I, I think it's, like, one of the really great things about, like, when we talk about this long-form storytelling as opposed to trying to cram everything into, like... Two hours where it's like we got to rescue Han, we got to get the plans for the Death Star, we got to like go to Endor, and then we got to blow up the Death Star, and Luke has to have his big father conversation. <laughs> it's like we're going to yeah. do all that in two hours, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to like here's ten hours and we're going to get a slice of life as to like what yeah. is really affecting these people, and like I really yeah, love absolutely. seeing that sort of thing, yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, speaking of that slice of life too, I feel like. I feel like we got a lot of compare and contrast too, between the different characters, because I'm glad you brought up Kitar specifically because mm-hmm. the, the sort of mentor relationship that we get between Ruge and Kitar is, is very much similar to Anakin, Obi-Wan's mm-hmm. relationship. And then and we got to see that explored and, and they even discussed it and, and that was just really, really fun to see. So uh, what was that like a little bit? Was that always intentional to, to, to kind of make it, you know, a mirror image in a lot of ways? Um, Oh, it was always, I would say, Kitar did not have as big of a
2: role. He was more, he was more thin because I didn't think I had as much space to to work with, uh-huh. to work with him. Like, um, and then my editor said, like, this is this is actually really interesting. So, like, let's kind of play this up as a mirror to because Rogue is already a mirror to Obi Wan in so many ways. So, like, yeah. let's play up the fact that like his her relationship with with Kitar is very much like Obi Wan's relationship with Anakin and it gives like kind of like a red flag warning to obi-wan about like what happens if you like if you let them in without like talking with them enough yeah. um you know that sort of thing so it was it, that was on my my editor giving me the space to to kind of let them breathe a little bit more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there's like the, the scene specifically where uh, spoiler alert i guess <laughs> the, Wait, the yeah. scene the scene where where Ventress and Kitar are alone, and she's mm-hmm. basically like like nudging him verbally over the edge. Yeah, and that was like that was originally not in there, um. And my editor thought it was really important to give Kitar a moment like away from Rook, so we see like how has mm-hmm. he been coping with like this disaster to his people, and then how is he feeling when it's just Ventress there, and he doesn't have like his stabilizing, uh, you know. Mentor figure in Rogue, yeah, which again is very much like Anakin with Palpatine always whispering in his ear. So it was trying to get a, a a bit of a parallel with that. And I will say, like, so Kitar, the way that I wrote him, his voice for longtime video game fans is uh, I use Josh Keating's performance of Yun Ocelot from Metal Gear Solid Three. That is the <laughs> voice in my head. <laughs>
0: that's amazing well
1: see that's the kind of stuff i want because I, I you did a wonderful twitter thread of all your a bunch of easter eggs within mm-hmm. the book but i like i feel like i want like deluxe exclusive expanded editions <laughs> published of the novels. like in the back now here's all like, the voice of the characters. here's like,
3: the
2: extra stuff <laughs> that that's um, just that is purely like a a, a writing craft technique for for mm-hmm. me like i find if i assign them like an actor very early on mm-hmm. for, for whatever character it's, it's much easier for me to get like the cadence of their voice. And then also like their facial expressions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know uh, yeah, that's I good. I've heard a lot of people say that.
1: that. Yeah. I got her on her. Uh, I, don't know, I think on Claudia Grace Tumblr or something when master and apprentice came out, I remember she like would tweet out actor pictures. Like here's going to be the new characters and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? We all, we fan cast things all the time. It only makes sense that you all as creators would do that as well. When you're actually writing the words, it's um, a cheat.
2: It just makes things yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and hey, it works out well, um, and now on, on the idea still of like Kitar and the Nemoidians and, and kind of shifting the narrative of like villainous stories, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I guess, um, you know, as fans of, of all these long running sagas, Star Wars, Star Trek, all these different things, we've seen a lot of narratives shift from decade to decade for those that have been around this long as more and more creators are added, like the stories evolve, people bring in more experiences. So, do you think that Star Wars authors specifically kind of almost have a responsibility to like reevaluate storytelling around villains as time goes on and like the real world evolves? Like you say, we live in this different world than Lucas lived in. In the 70s, definitely, but even in the 90s, the aughts, like, Mm -hmm. you're writing for a different world, so do you think the villains kind of have to evolve as our world does?
2: I, You know, and and this might be, like, you know, me blowing smoke up my own ass, but I really do think... You're on a podcast! That's all we do! (laughs) I I think George Lucas would want us to do that. I mean, if you look at, like... I mean, George Lucas is a hyper-political person, and he wrote Star Wars with so many political allegories in mind and as like a direct like reaction to like the cinema and the mood of the seventies. So I would think that he would want any sort of artwork inspired by his creation to carry that kind of legacy on as being like both like a mirror and an exploration to, to the age. A mirror and an X flish
1: yeah, man. You write, you write and talk well, man. That is, that's so, <laughs> so, 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 I mean, it's such a cliche, but like it, it makes so much. I think
2: about rather. George Lucas a lot. That's all it is.
1: As, <laughs> as you should, listeners. Here's the deal, everyone. If you're not thinking about George Lucas enough, you need to reevaluate your life because there's a yeah. lot to think about. Um,
2: yeah. yeah, he's. He, I remember when there was an interview with with Natalie Portman. I think shortly after the prequels were completed. And I think that the question was something like, what is your takeaway from, from being in this, you know, pop culture phenomenon? And she, her answer was like, I just like talking to George Lucas. And she would talk about about (laughs) like, you know, like they would just sit down between takes and he would like, they would talk about like politics and he would like give her like massive history lessons off the cuff, you know, things like that. And like, I, I just, the fact that, you know, there was, um, so comic book writer Michael Morisi, who also mm-hmm. was in from a certain point of view, yeah, we chatted with st- him before. Yeah, dude. He he's a really good dude. He, uh, and he made a point about how one of the things about the prequel trilogy that we will probably never see again is this is like a massively constructed like pop culture phenomenon that is purely the vision of one guy. Whether you agree with that vision or not, you know, that's mm-hmm. fine. But like we're not going to get something like this where you know everything's built by committee now you know right um and so now like you you no longer get the singular vision whereas like with with the prequel trilogy it's like this is exactly what george lucas wanted yeah um you know, and it's like you. know, a- As a writer, I'm like, well, maybe he could have used some help on the some script for some scenes, and like that's, <laughs> well, that's totally fine. Yeah, like it's, we make it's, sacrifices. He, yeah, yeah. It's it's his baby, and like, so he pushed the technology to get there. He did the storytelling that Absolutely. he wanted. He went dark in Revenge of the Sith before like really dark storytelling was popular in in, in culture. So mm-hmm. you know, I I feel like. You know, as storytellers of anything right now, it's like if if you're inspired by George Lucas in in any way, then the way to carry that on outside of just playing with his world or his like imagery is to tell a story that is true to your vision rather than trying to fulfill like a checklist of other stuff. And also to like speak to the world that you're seeing because George Lucas definitely did that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and I love that because I feel like we're also seeing that play out on, on the TV shows we keep talking about, you know, like mm. you, Tony Gilroy is show running Andor and yeah. that is a Tony Gilroy show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, it you is. See, like Ewan McGregor was an executive producer on Obi-Wan. And I mean, I mm-hmm. think we're obviously there's still <laughs> committee just cause TV, you know, they got a lot of folks, but I think that the stuff that we have kind of seemed to enjoy the more we go is more singular. And, and I love how much you're giving us kind of a peek into your editorial process with talking to an editor and stuff. But I think that's also one of the reasons that we love Star Wars books so much is that yes, there's some some assignments here and there, and there are some stories and there are connections and stuff. But like reading your work and reading the work of other Star Wars authors is so nice because those are your words. You're the one sitting it down at the computer, typing it out, and like that is your mind on the page, and 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 you can feel that in some of the best Star Wars books.
2: So I will say that like when I when this book started to get like the early reviews so uh i was like, really terrified because most star wars books are like third person omniscient and they're they they lean more towards like space opera thriller like mm-hmm. with more more action pace and like mine is like the i mean there's like political intrigue and there's like light like espionage elements but like the first half is very character focused it's very yeah. much about like who Obi-Wan and Anakin are at these points in their lives. And then like we we hit a turning point where it's like, okay, now in order to start working together, things are starting to go down. And I was really, really worried that I'm like, people aren't going to like this because it's <laughs> like, it's, it's, you know, it's too much of like um, hanging out with them instead of like running and sprinting with them. But it was really interesting seeing so much of the feedback was like, I'm so glad that I got to see Anakin and Padme just hanging out. I'm you know, or I like, want
1: all their date nights. I know there's like <laughs> exactly. four of them ever, but like
2: I would read <laughs> all of them that exist. <laughs> not not too much time for that. No, but, not um, unfortunately. I, I you know I, I think it's really really great that like with the storytelling that like the they're trying to get like w- when I say like diversity, like I don't just mean like background, but also like style and children. Yes. Sure. Um, and that's giving a lot of exploration for a lot of different stuff. And and like I really appreciate that just because, uh, you know, I think like one of the things I really love about Star Trek right now is you have, I think five different shows and they're all completely different. And mm-hmm. so even if you don't like one of them, like that's fine. You know, I love all of them. I think they're great for completely different reasons, but the, the fact that like they recognize like they don't all have to be the same, you know, you can have right. like, you know, you can have the family-friendly Star Trek Prodigy, which you you used to try to get your kids into it, but you know, longtime fans also really enjoy because the writing's really great in that. And then there's like Lower Decks, with just like it's adult humor, and it, yeah. like, it's really broad adult humor, but totally works. And then you have like the more traditional Strange New Worlds, and it's like it's great to have all of these things, and, and <clears throat> like not just like a difference in points in the timeline are the characters but the tone and i think that's really important because like i mean i don't have time to consume and love everything so it's like it's nice to be able to have some stuff where it's like okay well that one wasn't for me that's cool sure i'm gonna jump on this other stuff and i i don't get the people who are like they're so mad when something just doesn't work for them it's like it's fine i know you know just i know it didn't work for you that's totally cool like there's plenty of marvel movies where i'm like yeah, I'm, I'm going to forget about that now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's right, Like
0: that's not my right? favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we we really do have this sort of renaissance of of authors being able to sort of tell their own stories and add something new. And I think I think we've we've kind of transitioned a little bit. where in early when the early canon was a, a baby, right? When canon mm. was still a baby, right? In books and comics and stuff, where it was much harder to do that. And there was it feels like there were very similar. And we have this like. Really blossoming time period in the last five years or so of, uh, you know, of Star Wars books and comics. And the stories are really, really getting rich, reading tons of variety and tons of diversity. And, you know, we say all the time that Star Wars is best when it does resemble the real world. So it's nice to get like some variety and stuff in the storytelling. And, you know, I guess as we sort of start to wrap up a little bit you know this is kind of tied into that i i guess to some degree is we ask every author or star wars creator that comes on our show this this question is uh, kind of around the idea of of legacy a little bit mm-hmm. because you know, you've really rocketed into the spotlight uh, this year with this incredible book that you wrote, New York Times bestselling author, uh, Mike Chen, right? Like, <laughs> you, right. you know, <laughs> you, you, you've come into this. So, you know, you now have your own legacy on this fandom in, in, in a way, because now you've been involved in it, right? You've helped tell the story mm-hmm. of, of the galaxy far, far away. So what do, you, what do you hope your legacy is? When people look back on the life of New York Times bestselling author, Mike Chen, like, what do you hope that your legacy is on this fandom?
2: So, you know, I, I actually think back to when I did from a certain point of view and my my editor, uh, it's Tom from from Delroy. Like, you Tom. Know, yeah, most most of the book people know him now. Mm-hmm. And and so when they first offered me the assignment, I said, like, well, who's left? Because this is about halfway through the process. And so about like, you know, 30 to 40 percent of the characters had been picked. And so he sent me a list and um, it was like. The droid who swears at C-3PO. Um, there's like the <laughs> calm guy who like um, who is like sitting there when like Vader's choking people, you know, like things like that. <laughs> and then <laughs> I saw I saw Palpatine on the list, and then I, so I asked Tom why hasn't anyone picked Palpatine yet? And he goes, I I think people are intimidated by Palpatine. And so I sent in five pitches and Tom always says like, you know, I've sent the most of anyone who has done that project. (laughs) Usually they send one or two. Wow. Um, But so four of them were, you know, like based on those background characters. And and then I I got the Palpatine one and I told Tom, I'm like, if you will let me get away with this. And if Lucasfilm will let me get away with this, I really want to do the Palpatine one. And the idea is that, like, this may be my only shot to write Star Wars. So I want to write something that's more than just like a funny scene with a background character. I want to write something that means something. So that's where the story disturbance comes from. And, and, like, it was my goal to, like, bring Anakin into Darth Vader uh, at that moment where, like, you know, we see him in the middle of Empire. Um, and, And with Brotherhood, I really like the real goal was like it's a so there's two things like for narratively it's a bridge between attack of the clones and the clone wars. So mm-hmm. you know it, it it's the transition of how they go from Bickering at the end of Attack of the Clones to you know what you see in Christophus Christophsis where they're already like kind of a team. Yeah. Um so I what I really wanted to do was humanize anakin i like and so there's the lines in brotherhood where you know anakin thinks about like where he said are you an angel to padman he's like i just spit out the first thing in my mouth and it's so embarrassing (laughs) but you know that brought us here and i'm okay with that and like you know i i joke about sand all the time on twitter because i i literally like genuinely hate sand so much (laughs) and i have an eight-year-old daughter who plays in sand and it gets everywhere. And it is so horrible. So most I'm accurate
3: line. It is, it is, <laughs> but
2: you know, leaning into that line, like the ridiculousness of that line, it says so much about who Anakin is. Like he grew up on a really harsh world. When he says, I hate sand, he's saying like, I hate this like hot suffering existence that I had. And now I'm yeah. here with you. And so I wanted to, like, really humanize these moments of Anakin that, like, you know, out of context or in just like the context of we only have two hours in Attack of the Clones and we're going to just, like, you know, move them here to here and here and they're going to say things. But it, to be able to, like, breathe in those spaces and transition it into something that's much more, I guess, grounded in in mm-hmm. character, I, I think that's really what I want uh, out of all this is is to, like, build onto the legacy of Anakin Skywalker more than any of the other characters.
0: Yeah. I love that. I I, love that. Anakin is such a special character in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, Star Wars is almost about Anakin. Mm -hmm. Like he is almost like the pinnacle of, of the entire saga. I mean, I I know we've sort of eloquently named it the start the Skywalker saga at this point, but it really is in a lot of ways, the Anakin saga. And I feel like, I feel like you, really captured his inner voice and his struggle really better than anybody that I can think of, quite frankly. That
2: was, that was the hope. I mean, he's so complex and I think that's one of the things with,
0: with, with, you want to hate him, but you you can't hate him, but you want to love him and you can't love him.
2: He is so complex. You you peel back the layers of him and you see what's basically like a very traumatized child who's abused in all directions. And he's, trying to he wants to do right and he has the power to do right but he doesn't know like which direction that necessarily yeah. is and i think that's one yeah. of the most fascinating things about him and and it's just star wars has so many more you know clearly defined i guess like um almost like D style alignment yeah. you know with their characters and, and with anakin it's like it depends on which day you run into him yeah <laughs> and like what's Absolutely. the context of anakin skywalker today so yeah. I, that was what's, what's, and that's really like the most human of, of, of all of the characters is because he is so constantly like emotionally challenged by the things around him and he doesn't get a lot of support. Um, no. uh, so that's, that's why he's so fascinating to write. And, and so like, I've always sympathized with him, even though I'm able to recognize that like, Hey, in the end, he made these choices, you know, but, but to be able to get into that mindset and like, before he went over the edge, how was he teetering there? And who was the good person underneath? Like, I'm just glad I was able to explore that in a way that really resonated with people.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you really did get to take maybe the most important being in the history of the galaxy. <laughs> and you showed us him taking a night out with his beautiful wife <laughs> and hanging right. out to go save his best friend.
0: That's I mean, right.
1: That's that who among us wouldn't want that story. And and it was really wonderfully told. And I, I mean, again we are we are are not <clears throat> about the uh, the spoilers we don't know what's going to happen in the future but i can just say we at least hope that you absolutely get to tell more and more stories yeah. in this galaxy absolutely. they're really really something special <laughs> yes. uh,
2: I, I, but... I will say like the other legacy of that i have in star wars is i introduced giant space corgis yes you did Corgi oh. <laughs> <laughs> corgi owners, yeah, corgi owners is... will understand the fur that gets everywhere and just leaves a trail there i can't believe they let me do that but yeah giant it's, space corgis i remember
1: where i, I was sitting in a coffee shop when i read that i remember that chapter i was sitting yeah. reading it for a review copy and i'm like i, and I went back a couple times and i'm like wait a minute corgi cr- did he just
0: oh my gosh <laughs> was with the great. big ears and i the- love it <laughs>
1: Gosh, well, for, for folks of us that are lucky enough to have corgis and those that aren't, uh, Mike, we want to give you the floor now. And tell folks um, where they can find you online, where they can find your work, and if there's anything you're at liberty to to say at this point, what, anything you're working on, what can folks uh, be looking for on the horizon?
2: I So I am mostly on Twitter. It's Mike Chen Writer. You have to include Writer because there, there's Mike <laughs> Chen, the YouTube food guy who is way more Famous than New York Times best-selling author Mike Chen. For now, for now. There's there's like there's so many Mike Chens out there. So you have to put Mike Chen writer. Um, I'm most active on there. Um, I am also on Twitter or on Instagram at Mike Chen writer. Um, but I don't update that enough. Um, Mike Chen Books is my website, and I update that even less. And I really need to <laughs> update that. Um, and so what I have coming up in January is something that is completely different from Star Wars. It's a book called Vampire Weekend. It's about a vampire yes. who, uh, instead of dealing with her feelings of culture clash as being the child of immigrants in like the 50s and 60s, she turns to punk rock in the 70s. And then she becomes a vampire and never deals with her feelings until it's present day and she runs into some unexpected family and has to deal with them. So, very much not like oh, Star Wars yeah. at all. But if you if you like vampires tropes being deconstructed, if you love punk rock and indie rock like I do um and you like if you like the character work of what I did in Brotherhood, I feel like most of my books have that similar tone where there's like really fantastical stuff going on in the background but it's a deep look at the characters who deal with that sort of fantastical stuff. So vampire weekend is coming out in January. I have two top secret projects that will be announced at some point over the next six months. Um, They're just going to be really awesome. That's all.
1: <laughs> well, a- as you said at the beginning, we just gotta wait for Mike Seglain to tweet about them someday out of nowhere, and then we'll all find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so- um, and
2: then I am I'm finishing up my not this January, but the next January novel, which will be a time loop story. Um, and so I I have to finish it and make it good first. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things in the fire right now.
1: Well. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that, that you got to go into this particular fire to share the story with us, and I can't wait to see, again, what you're making next. Uh, Mike, it's been a heck of a year uh, for all of us, but again, very earnest congratulations on the success of this book and the reception by the community. As we said at the top, everyone that we know in our, our discords, our Twitters, everyone has just absolutely loved it. And, um, I mean, I, I want more rogue everywhere. So I think at the end of the day...
2: I would be- you know, I watch Andor, and I I legit think in my head, I'm like, Ruge should be in this. Yes! <laughs> I have no, I have no say over it, obviously, but, like, God, she would totally fit in. She's there! Yes, she would.
0: She's there. I love that so much.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, Mike, thanks again for making the time today.
1: Everyone listening, go check out Brotherhood again if you haven't, or if you didn't listen to the audiobook. Go back and do the other medium. You know you got to reread on the horizon. Uh, and again make sure you stay tuned for all your news about any Star Wars books and comics that you need and uh, Mike thanks again
2: thank you so much for having me